Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. What an excellent job by Joe Reeder. One more round of applause for Joe. I mean, it is truly awesome to have Joe back with us here at Villa's Grace, but then to be back doing solos again. Thank you very much for recovering. Actually, thank the Lord. <laughs> Speaking of which, one of the things that came to mind is, it's funny, like, I get in these modes where I have like a million different things going on. So Joe's up there playing, and I'm really appreciating what he's playing. And then I'm sitting there thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, his main nurse at the end of his tenor at Gulf Coast Hospital after his procedure was named Janice. And I have her number somewhere because I invited her to come hear Joe play. So if we don't contact Janice to get her here to hear you play, it's on me, all right? So I'm putting myself on blast right now in front of everybody. So make sure you remind me, Pastor Matt, did you get Janice's number? Okay, please remind me to do that. She wanted to come hear you play. So thank you, Joe, for being back with us and, and healing up. We are continuing our sermon series titled, The Church Under Siege. It's for real. The Church Under Siege. The tagline for this sermon series is, let us not be fooled. As we go through the book of 2 Peter, we don't want to be fooled as a church. See, as a church, we want to understand the good news. We don't want the good news of Jesus to be twisted, manipulated. We want to understand what the good news is so nobody can share something that's contrary to what God has stated from the beginning. Any sports fans in the house? Football's in full force. Baseball's, I would say, in full swing, but you got some Packer fans with Thel here. Yeah, I've got a Packer fan in my, my family, too. That was the woot you just heard. It's amazing, though. She, she chooses whatever team has the best players. But typically, what I found after 23 years of being with Hope, the best player typically is the best-looking player on the field. So, you know, we just roll with it. But baseball is a sport that is driven by statistics. Now, sure, football has statistics, basketball, but let's think about it. Baseball's really known for statistics. It's huge. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stats out there in baseball. A guy could be walking to the plate and the announcer could be like, ah, he's coming up to the plate. He bats 350 when his grandmother's here on a Tuesday, sitting in row 113, seat 13, and guess what? It's a Tuesday. His grandma's in the stands. Let's see. You know what I'm saying? It's like every little thing they could possibly come up with. There's a stat for it. But unfortunately for baseball, there's a whole era of players. There's a whole era of players that are going to be known by a symbol being next to their name. Because, see, stats are made so records can be kept, correct? Correct. So when these players find themselves in the record books because their stats were so good, unfortunately, there's going to be this symbol right here, a big fat asterisk next to their name. 
Now see, you would think, well, it's stats. It's factual. It's truth. But what do we know about mankind? For all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Let's face it, we're not very honest, are we? Think about all the cheating scandals that we've seen in sports over the years of athletes getting busted, and now they're going to be known for having an asterisk next to their name. It doesn't matter how many career hits they had, career home runs or season record home runs hit, number of singles in the season, highest batting average. If you have an asterisk next to your name, it shows that it wasn't done in truth. In fact, it was a myth. It was a clever way of cheating the system. Church, we are so fortunate. We should be giving thanks because we have a historical record right here that has no asterisk, does it? See, the Bible was not authored by men. There's 66 books within the Bible. Now, it wasn't authored by man, even though God used man to write the 66 books of the Bible. It was authored by God, but written by man. And since God wrote his Bible, his historical record of what is truth, there will never be an asterisk next to anything in the Bible because we know that it is 100% factual evidence of what God has done for fallen humanity. And that's the reason why we gather and rally around this book right here. If we don't rally together around this being our foundation, we are missing the mark in baseball terms, I guess you could say we are striking out. The title for our sermon this morning is this, The Recorded Glory of Jesus. The Recorded Glory of Jesus. Today we're going to be in Second Peter, so please feel free to open up in your Bible Second Peter. We're still going to be in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21. So we're finishing up chapter 1 this morning. Last week, Pastor Jared reminded us of this fact. We were reminded that we all benefit from the riches of God when practicing the virtues that strengthen our faith. We can benefit from His riches when we actually practice the virtues. Today, it's along those same lines, but we're progressing it even further where we're going to be reminded of a miraculous phenomenon that happened between Jesus, Peter, James, and John. A miracle that defines who Jesus is in the future magnificence of God's kingdom to come. Most importantly, it's all historical evidence because it's all been recorded. For the same reason why baseball historians want to keep track of stats to record their history. Even though it's flawed, God has recorded 
His plan of salvation for us. He has revealed to us who Jesus is. And as we read these verses this morning, we're going to see just that. So please follow along with me. The verses will be on your screens. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. When we look at these verses this morning, we see this one sentence that wraps up and defines all these verses. And that sentence is this. The glory of Jesus Christ has been authored by God and recorded by man. The glory of Jesus Christ has been authored by God and recorded by man. Now, the question we ask based upon this statement is this. The Bible's foundation is laid upon what universal truth? The Bible's foundation is laid upon what universal truth? That universal truth is this. The Bible's foundation is laid upon this truth. Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus is God in human flesh. Flesh. Now, some of you are saying, duh, but let's hold on a second. Let's remember the overarching title to our sermon series is what? The church under siege, right? So there's people who are trying to distort that truth. Now, I don't know about you. But I don't like movie previews. Do you like movie previews? You like going to the movies and having to watch a bunch of previews? I, I, I don't, if anybody knows me, I don't sit still well enough anyway, let alone to sit through some movie previews. So if you're like me, you show up about 15 minutes late, knowing that the previews have already gone through. But what's the purpose of a movie preview? They play a preview prior to the main feature for what purpose? To give you a hint of what's to come. It's to entice you, to get excited that, oh, when this movie comes out, I have to go see it. We've all watched movies based upon prior previews, haven't we? We've all decided to watch a movie because we saw the preview first. We made that mental note. I'm going to watch that when it comes out. And then we go and watch the movie. Church, the greatest previews of all time or the greatest preview of all time happened on the holy mountain. See, does anybody know what I'm referring to? 
The greatest preview of all time happened on the holy mountain. The greatest preview of all time wasn't the preview of Avatar. Wasn't the preview for Titanic. I'm just mentioning movies that have been huge in the last 15, 20 years. The greatest preview of all time happened on the holy mountain. Anybody want to yell out what the greatest preview of all time was, please? Yes, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine getting a preview of the future of God's kingdom while living on this earth? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine getting a preview of Jesus in his glory to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension prior to those things happening? And that's precisely what Peter, James, and John saw on the holy mountain with Jesus. And we see this in verses 16 through 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. What does he say? How does he start this off? He starts off by saying, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. This statement from Peter is absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Do you know why this statement's so brilliant? It's because God is not a clever God. In fact, being clever is not one of God's character traits. How do we know that God is not clever? How can we make that statement with confidence? See, I believe that we can make that statement in confidence because God is not clever. God is all-knowing. And when you're all-knowing, you don't have no time to be clever. See, only manipulators author cleverly devised myths. Peter goes on to say, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is something that we can all relate to, isn't it? Where were you Think about this, and you probably really don't have to think about it after make the statement. It's just going to pop up in your head like that. Where were you when you heard about Pearl Harbor? You probably remember who gave you the news, whether it was a person or it was on the radio, and what time of day it was and where you were. Where were you when JFK was assassinated? You probably remember exactly where you were, who told you, and everything. You can probably describe what the sky looked like and how beautiful of a day it was, or ugly of a day it was. How about September 11th? That's one I can relate to. I was a sophomore in college. I remember walking to class and walking by a TV and seeing that a, what we thought was a small plane hit one of the buildings. And then I was fixated on the TV, wasn't so concerned with going to class. But that was a typical day in the life of me as a college student anyway. <laughs> it's not like I needed 9-11 to, you know, help me out with that one. But then the next plane goes in. 
But I remember I was sitting around the couch with other college students. We all have had things major that have happened. See, it's those memories associated with the first time experience. It's that smell and sound and sight of your location's environment when you heard the news. So what's Peter saying? What is he saying to us? He's saying that the first time you heard about Jesus, it smelled like this. It felt like this. It looked like this. And it sounded like this. It's like he's saying what it is you're now hearing does not smell like that, does not feel like that, does not look like that, and does not sound like that. That's what Peter's saying right now. Church, false teachers are the same today as they were yesterday and will be tomorrow. They're motivated by wealth, they're motivated by power, and they're motivated by prestige. Church, we cannot forget real power, real power is reserved for, what does it say here? That's right, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's real power. So, how do you test the man teaching you? Do you even think about testing somebody who's teaching you? Do you ever think about testing who it is that you're reading? Maybe it's a daily devotional. You're reading a spiritual book or listening to a Christian radio channel or listening to a pastor. Are you checking me? Are you listening to me? Do you run me through a test? Do you run Pastor Jared through a test? Are you even thinking to run somebody through a test? Or are you just saying, I'm going to take their word for it? If you take my word for anything... We're all in trouble. Don't take my word for it. My opinion doesn't mean anything. So let's keep it simple. How do you test who it is that's teaching you? I ask myself this question. Does this teaching encourage me to power up? Or does this teaching that I'm hearing encourage me to look up to the power of Jesus? Cleverly devised myths were here in the past. They'll be here today. And rest assured, they'll be there tomorrow. But the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ will be here forever. Peter adds credibility to the revelation he first revealed to the churches in Asia Minor. He says this, he says, We are eyewitnesses of His majesty. See, verses 17 and 18 are the preview. Those are the preview. These two verses reference an account in which Peter was an eyewitness to. Peter was with Jesus, James, and John during the transfiguration. Jesus transfigured. We got to keep this in mind. He transfigured in his appearance in order for Peter, James, and John to see his glory. That is amazing. During this moment in the end of verse 17, God says this. He has Peter write, This is my beloved son, because he's recording what he heard God say, with whom I am well pleased. 
Peter writes in verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. So not only this is what God said, but this is what we heard. To what advantage did Peter get? To what earthly advantage was it to follow Jesus? He wasn't making this account up to advance his career. I mean, that's why some of these baseball players injected themselves with performance-enhancing drugs now, didn't they? To advance their careers. And now what do they have by their name? An asterisk. Peter is simply saying what I smelled the first time. He's simply saying what I touched for the first time, what I looked upon for the first time, and what I heard for the first time is not the cleverly devised myths that you're hearing now. Church, this all applies to us. So what is it you're hearing to encourage you to power up? Or does it encourage you to look up to the power of Jesus? See, Peter saw a preview of the future glory of Jesus, the glory that Jesus is God in human flesh. He heard it. He saw it. He was able to be there to touch it, to taste it, to smell it, to experience it. A future preview we can be encouraged by too. This isn't just limited to those on the holy mountain. So therefore, we have this glory of Jesus that's been revealed to us now and that we get to partake in revealing to others. So I don't know about you, but I'm grateful to have Peter's writing in this God-authored Bible with this account of what happened, knowing that my confidence in that truth allows us to put these six verses into this one sentence. And that one sentence is the glory of Jesus Christ has been authored by God and recorded by man. The same reason why we ask the question, the Bible's foundation is laid upon what universal truth? Jesus is God in human flesh. Speaking of the Bible being authored by God and written by man, did you know that some of your favorite authors out there, some of their books are actually ghost-written? Are you okay with that? Or do you think ghostwriting is fraudulent? Because I always think of ghostwriting as being fraudulent and bad. You know, it's not necessarily a good thing. Like, did Stephen King really write the book or did somebody else write it? But I don't think ghostwriting is actually fraudulent. See, it's not one person writing and another taking the credit. That's actually fraudulent. If somebody writes the book and then one other person takes all the credit then that's being a fraud. But see, ghostwriting is when the author has an idea and the writer, the ghostwriter, puts the ink to paper. Church, the Bible really has a ghostwriter. Now, in some of the cases, we know who wrote these individual books, but there's some books we're not so sure. God authored all of Scripture. However, his spirit inspired various men of various personalities, of various demographics to write all 66 books of the Bible. And we see just that in verses 19 through 21. Verse 19 starts by saying, And we 
have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, I remember as a child, we had this mosquito zapper. We lived in the woods, and every time we would go outside in the evening, my dad would flick that thing on, and that bright little blue, almost neon light would start shining. And the next thing you'd hear, zip, zip, zip. All these mosquitoes is getting fried. They couldn't help themselves. They were so focused. They just had to go to the light and get zapped. Verse 19 says that what? Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get zapped. But we should be so focused on God's word that intently. We should pay attention to what? The prophetic word, a.k.a. the Bible. That is our prophetic word. How long should we pay this close of attention to God's word, though? I heard somebody say forever. Who thinks that answer is correct? Ladies and gentlemen, we have forever for 500. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a little bit. How about this? What does it say? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Do you know what this is a reference to? This is a reference to our hope now. This is a reference to Jesus and his second coming. See, not only will the second coming of Jesus physically transform this earth, but he will also stir up an inward transformation in our hearts. Church, a truth such as this could only be authored by a God with the power to do it. So with all this being said, how do we know that he ghost wrote the Bible? Verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Satan is behind every world religion. Every world religion says, I can do something to please God or a deity. Christianity says the opposite. Only I can satisfy myself through my sacrifice. Now you have been given the faith to be righteous and holy because of what I did. I being Jesus, who is God in human flesh. Every other religion says the image of man creates the image of God. Christianity says man is created in the image of God. Verse 21 tells us, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Are we not backing ourselves up here? Does this not correlate with Genesis, when God says, let them make him in our likeness. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. This isn't Peter's opinion. You know you don't want Pastor Matt's opinion. You don't want Pastor Jared's opinion or Pastor Steve's opinion. 
And we definitely don't want Peter's opinion. Nothing in the Bible has ever been invented by man. Man simply has put God's idea to paper. Like any other author to writer, ghost-written relationship church, people are going to say things to you like, oh, well, that's what Peter wrote? That, that's what Paul wrote? Well, that was for, for then. That was for, for then. That, it, culture's different today. Here's the thing. Culture is no different today than it was back then. Things haven't changed. It's really the same stuff. It's the same sin. Maybe different ways. I mean, that's really all we do. We invent new ways to, to commit the same sins. It's all the same sin. Don't let people try to tell you the gospel is something that it isn't. But if we don't know that Jesus is God in human flesh, we're starting off on the wrong foot. It's not the human author's writing that establishes the truth, and we have to remember that. And when somebody tells you contrary to what it says in the Bible, that's a human author trying to tell you this is what's truth. I don't care what any human author has to say. I care about what the author has to say. And if a human author wants to back up what God's saying, that's cool as long as it's backing up what God is saying in his word. So rather, it's God's authored idea recorded by man that does, and that's what we have to keep in mind. So as I call Mike up, I want to ask this question. How did God achieve this authorship to human writer relationship? How did he do it? See, clearly from these verses, we understand that he did it through his Holy Spirit. The last part of verse 21 says this, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, carried along has the same connotation as wind hitting the sails of a ship. Man put out his sails, but the Lord gave those sails the wind necessary to carry them where they needed to go to do what he wanted them to do for them to write what he wanted them to write so how does God do this does he physically pick up their hands and have them write exactly what he wants them to write see God can work in perfection he can work outside of perfection but he works in a way that we don't understand between both of those realms to make everything perfect because a perfect God still needs to always operate in a perfect manner. But he does something that's so amazing that all of us can piggyback on in our own lives and be encouraged by. Because when he wrote his Bible, he didn't just say, hey, Peter, this is exactly what you're going to write. Forget about all your prior experiences in life, everything that you've ever been through, all these things that you've been putting back on the data server of your brain that's been helping you and shaping you and maturing you to be the person that you are today. Forget all that. I want you to write this exactly. That's not how God operates. God used Peter. He used his unique personality. He used his unique vocabulary that he had. He used each writer's personal experience to communicate his truth. He knew that Peter had a different writing style than Paul, different vocabulary, different experiences, but yet he used Peter just like he used Paul, just like he used John and Matthew. Isaiah, Moses, church. He used people and their personalities then, so what do you think he's doing with you today? Yeah, sure, you may not be writing new revelation in the Bible, but you were never asked to to begin with. 
He's given you a unique personality. He's allowed you to experience certain things in your life. And what do we see going back? For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait, do you know Jesus? Do you know that he's coming back again? Well, then that's all it takes. If you know that, then God wants to use you in your unique skill set, experiences, to share that truth with others, every last one of us. And if we're not a church that doesn't provide opportunities for that to happen, we are clearly missing the boat, not with our sails up when that wind passes through. So we want to be a church as we move forward to offer opportunities for every last one of us to do exactly this. That's the reason why we met after church last week was to get the ball rolling so we can now take what we know about Jesus. Even that one sentence as we throw this on the screen right now, even what we know about this right here, the glory of Jesus Christ has been authored by God and recorded by man. Because we know that Peter's writing tells us, I've seen the preview. I've seen God's kingdom and what it's going to be like. And let me tell you, man, I can't wait. And that's how we have to live our lives. Every single day, like, I can't wait. And God will use us. We ask this question. The Bible's foundation is laid upon what universal truth? The truth that Jesus is God in human flesh. So can we live in our flesh like we know that Jesus is God in human flesh? Can we make that a priority? I know none of us here are going to be able to do it perfectly, but can we get up every single day and say, Jesus, teach me how to put you on the throne in your rightful spot today in my life. Because I want you to use me. Some of you, some of you think that your experiences are boring and plain and God can never use you. Wrong. Some of you think that you've done things that are too bad and too colorful for God to use you. Wrong. You know, keep on sitting and doing nothing and you can be wrong. I don't want to stand before the Lord and be wrong. But I need encouragement. You need encouragement. We need to encourage each other. That's why we come together in fellowship, to remind each other that our goal is to share the good news of who Jesus really is and let nobody tell us otherwise. He is God in human flesh. And we know that Peter accurately, truthfully recorded what he saw on that holy mountain, saying, man, what's to come? The preview that I saw of the kingdom? I can't wait. I can't wait. Heavenly Father, you are awesome, God. Lord, I just pray that we can encourage one another in your truth, that we can be used to share your good news with others. 
Prepare our hearts to do just that, Lord. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.